0: everyone it's the halloween edition of the agewise podcast and what perfect timing to introduce my new book scattered my year as an accidental caregiver a hair raising account of rebuilding two lives at once my mother's and my own after my father's unexpected death with my career on the skids my beloved father gone and my then 80 year old mother devastated by grief i entered the scary unknown world of caring for an aging parent having no idea how hard it would be to navigate in the dark i wrote the book and started this podcast to raise awareness in the media about the plight of caregivers in the u.s and to help people who are caring for a loved one feel less isolated you can find the book scattered my year as an accidental caregiver on amazon.com so that's my story Well, today, we're going to hear someone else's story. I'm joined by Maria Anastas, a labor law expert and former attorney with the National Labor Relations Board. Besides being a crackerjack lawyer, Maria is a devoted daughter to her parents who live in Phoenix, Arizona. Maria herself lives in Los Angeles, where she joins us from today. Maria Anastas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what your family life was like growing up?
1: Sure. Um, my parents are both Greek-Americans. My father's a Greek Orthodox priest who was born in the United States, but my mother was born in northern Greece. And my parents met in the United States, and they settled in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, after my father was ordained. And that's where I was born. A few years later, my father accepted an assignment at a parish in Cleveland, Ohio, where we spent the next 18 years. And since that time, my father has served two other parishes: one in Clearwater, Florida, and uh, at the cathedral in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where my parents have have since, you know, retired. Mm-hmm. So we grew up in a very traditional Greek Orthodox home, where we learned to speak Greek as young children. I had um, two brothers. Uh, My brother George passed away in 1992, and my brother Chris is 10 years younger than I am, and he fortunately is still living at home at the moment um, with my parents.
0: And how old are your parents now?
1: Uh, My parents are both 78 years old.
0: They're both 78. Okay. So... Going back to your upbringing for just a second, were your parents strict growing up, and was one more strict than the other?
1: Uh, My parents were very strict. I wasn't allowed out of the house other than to go to school and to go to Greek school um, and, you know, other family-related events. But um, I grew up in a very, very strict strict house. I would say my father was more strict than my than my mother was, but they were pretty aligned um, in the way that they reared us. And so as a result, when I graduated high school, I went away to college. And um, I've never lived at home in the same city with my parents since I left home, you know, to go to 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 college.
2: So Mm -hmm.
1: most of my life, I have been traveling to wherever my parents you know, lived at the time, Um, you know, when I was younger for summer breaks, um, spring breaks, you know, in school, I would go visit them, you know, but otherwise, it's primarily been holidays and birthdays. And, you know, we've taken vacations together and things like that. But um, I haven't lived in the same city with my parents since I was 18.
0: Do you have a memory of anything specific that you were disciplined for? Sure.
1: Sure. You know what, I spent uh, my junior year abroad in uh, Luxembourg and my two closest friends in Luxembourg were, were both boys and um, I didn't have any kind of sexual relationship with either one of them mm-hmm. but my father felt you know, differently for some reason, I guess simply because they were boys and I was a girl. <laughs> um, and so when I came home from Luxembourg a postcard arrived from one of the two boys, um, and unfortunately, he had sent the postcard from Greece, and it was one of those obscene, phallic, you know, postcards oh, that was intended no. to be funny. And my father, you know, got the mail, and um, when I came home that day, he was quite upset, to put it mildly, and was oh, convinced that I had been having some sort of physical relationship um, with this kid, which, of course, was, was not true. But those were the types of things that got me into trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess at that age, you weren't going to be disciplined. You just suffer the wrath.
1: The wrath, that's right. My my, my father actually had a pretty fiery temper um, when he was much younger. Of course, faded over time, but he, he had a pretty fiery temper.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, how often did you see your parents through the years and ha- has that changed?
1: Well, the frequency changed most dramatically after my brother George passed away in
2: 1992.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, death has a way of bringing families together, not always, but in our case, it, it certainly did. And I, I felt a need to spend as much time as possible with my family. So that really sort of marked that somewhat of a transition from seeing them, um, you know, primarily holidays and vacations to seeing them as often as I could. Um, At the time, I was living in New Orleans, and I was working for the NLRB, so I didn't have too much time. But I would say, you know, at least every couple of months, um, I would make an effort to to see them. Mm hmm so it's it's varied over the years but um when my father began experiencing his medical issues I have, you know, spent a significant amount of time uh traveling to, to Phoenix, um, for extended periods. Mhm. So as a as an attorney in a law firm I had a little more flexibility to just pick up and go, you know, whenever there was a, a need.
0: Mhm. Um, can you tell us about your father's health?
1: Well, um I'll I'll back up and and start uh chronologically. Mm-hmm. He, many years ago, he had a quintuple bypass. I would say probably 15 years ago, and that sort of I think started the downward spiral. Um he retired a few years early as a result of his bypass surgery. And um, after that, he developed type 2 diabetes, or at least that's when they realized that he had type 2 diabetes after the heart problem arose. Mm-hmm. The diabetes is what has led to, I think, you know, what we're dealing with um, today. It has contributed to his, you know the worsening of his heart condition. And um, unfortunately, about 14 months ago, he began, you know, doing dialysis. Mm -hmm. So that has been a devastating development. You wouldn't wish it on on your worst enemy. My father goes three to four times a week to a dialysis center in in Phoenix. And, you know, it wreaks havoc on your organs and, in particular, um, your heart. Uh My... Mother is really the primary person who um, takes my father to dialysis. Um, it's a short drive from their house in Phoenix, and typically she'll take him early in the morning around 6:30. And to avoid driving back and forth, she will go to various grocery stores, you know, sit in the coffee shop, um, run errands, and then she'll go back and you know pick him up about four hours later,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and bring him to the house where he is, you know, at that time completely depleted, you know, walking out of dialysis. Oh. Um, but there are others who are in worse shape. You know, yeah. I've picked them up before as well, and there are people in wheelchairs, and unfortunately people who don't have any family, and there's some kind of, um, I guess, public assistance, you know, vans, picking them up, taking them to uh, nursing homes, presumably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my father is always grateful to see one of us, you know, sure. are waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been one of the biggest uh, struggles we've had. There have been many other health issues, but really the most problematic at the moment is um, he has been diagnosed with leiomyosarcoma, which is one of the rarest uh, forms of sarcoma. He was diagnosed about four years ago mm-hmm. and it first appeared in uh, one of his testicles which was removed and um, after it was removed they did some radiation but we were advised that if it did return to one of the soft, you know, one of the other areas in his body that it would be devastating and unfortunately over the next couple of years nodules appeared in his lungs
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they were So small that there wasn't really anything to do from a treatment perspective. And so we've just, you know, the doctor, his oncologist has been monitoring him. And he got a pretty good report um, last year around this time that the nodules had not really grown much. And Mm -hmm. so we were, you know, optimistic that he would be with us for hopefully a few more years, if not longer, Mm -hmm. um, even though he's a dialysis patient. But unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, he began experiencing severe pain while eating
0: in the oh. abdomen area. Oh, gosh.
1: And so we uh, we took him to the emergency room. My father is very stoic. He doesn't really express how he's feeling. He doesn't want to be a bother. He doesn't want to be a burden. He doesn't really tell us when he's in pain. But he was in such pain that even he said, take me to the emergency room. And so we knew that it was pretty bad um, for him to, to say that because he never wants to go to the hospital. He has spent so much time at the at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and ultimately, they, they determined that the cancer had metastasized to the liver, and that's what was causing the excruciating pain. So they put him on a morphine drip in the hospital, and they told us the only thing we can do is start radiation, and, and that will hopefully relieve him of the pain but at this point that's really our our only realistic objective is to ease some of the pain that he's experiencing which is of course doctor code for you know this isn't going away and he could pass anytime
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know when they tell you at this point we just want to make him comfortable not really the the message that you want to hear right so that's that's where we are at the at the moment. He was released from the Mayo last Saturday and sent home with um you know strong pain medications. And so now my poor father is going to dialysis in the morning and radiation in the afternoon. So wow. it's a pretty devastating situation um not only for my father of course and primarily for my father but also because you know my mother and my brother are there at home taking care of him. And, of course, it's, it's impacted them. I mean, my brother can't he can't really leave the house because my father's too weak to stand. We're afraid he's going to fall over. He almost fell over last night, apparently brushing his teeth. Oh. And my mom isn't strong enough to hold my father up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my brother is not stuck, but, you know, he feels compelled to stay at the house and sort of monitor my dad, and he puts him in the wheelchair to take him, you know, downstairs to get into the car to go to dialysis,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, he takes him to radiation. If my brother were not at home, I really don't know what we would do right now.
0: Mm -hmm. I know that you've been traveling a lot back and forth to your folks' house. You've been doing some long-distance caregiving, too. So uh, what has your experience been like, and what do you anticipate for the future with your parents?
1: Well, I left Los Angeles, you know, the Friday before this last Friday, and I I was gone for, you know, nine, ten days, simply because, you know, when your father's in that kind of condition, you just, you drop everything, Mm
0: -hmm. right? And your firm was okay with that, and, I mean...
1: Yeah, it's really, at at my level, it's really more about um, my clients being okay with it, Mm -hmm. um, and... Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I work with very understanding people. You know, a lot of people have similar issues. And um, I have found that, you know, to a person, everyone has been very understanding. You know, as soon as you tell someone, you know, my father's in the hospital in critical condition and I can't attend the meeting, um, you know, they're very accepting of that. Um, There's been a lot of sensitivity that I have felt. From everyone,
2: so mm-hmm.
1: it's really more about managing my my clients and making sure their needs are being met while I'm gone mm-hmm. than than anything else. But at the same time, you know, to your point, I can't leave um, you know for an indefinite period of time because you know I I do have responsibilities here and I can't just unload them um, completely. So it's uh it's just kind of a struggle to sort of balance you know the two um, and sometimes it's difficult to make decisions as to when I should you know return um, mm-hmm. you know I'm nervous being in Los Angeles right now because something could happen at any minute my father as we speak is in dialysis
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I'm you know I'm, I'm on pins and needles you know so it's it's hard to take conference calls and go to meetings you know when your mind is always somewhere somewhere else and my brother asked me last night, "Do you think you could fly back here a little bit earlier than you had planned?" And so I'm going to try to fly back uh, this Thursday morning and uh, and spend another four days there. Um, but it's it's just difficult to to make that that call, you know. It's,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I just don't know when he is going to pass, and I don't want to here in Los Angeles when that happens but at the same time I can't camp out there indefinitely
0: I should imagine too that even while you're there you're working in some ways
1: oh yeah I was taking conference calls from my father's hospital room last week I had my laptop in his hospital room and while he was you know dozed off um, you know because the medication was so strong he couldn't keep his eyes open I Mm -hmm. mean imagine being on a morphine drip
2: Um,
1: so I was taking calls from his from his hospital room and, and working. And it allowed my brother to go to the gym, go to some meetings, and I just camped out in my dad's room so that I could interact with the doctors. Because otherwise, you know, if, if you ask someone in my dad's condition how he's feeling or um, that sort of thing, my dad isn't going to answer, you know, truthfully. He's always right. telling the doctors, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I had to intercede and say, He's not fine, his pain level was at a seven. We need you to increase the medication. He's
2: mm-hmm.
1: in pain. he didn't finish his lunch. you know you you'd have to you'd have to get involved um in the caregiving process. you know he didn't want to bother the nurses. you know he'd ring a call light and no one would come right away and so I would jump out of my seat and run down the hall to the nurse and say, "You know, my dad needs his medication could you Could you get it <laughs> mm-hmm." I mean, I, I, I have to say, you know, I feel my father was in the best hospital, you know, in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. he was at the Mayo Clinic. And mm-hmm. it, 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 I, I can't say enough about not only the nurses, the physicians. I mean, just top to bottom, it's, a, it's an incredible health care institution. It's just that as a family member, you know, when I referred to having to go down the hall, for example, to look for the nurse, Mm-hmm. sometimes when you're stressed out, you become a little impatient. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it wasn't that the nurse was in any way, you know, negligent or at fault. It's just that you become impatient when you see your family member, um, you know, in pain. And so that's what would sort of cause me to jump out of the chair and, and go down the hall. I was maybe a little too proactive. <laughs> but, you know, in other hospitals, I've been in a position where I've had to get pretty aggressive. Um, with the medical team because of you know procedures that they wanted to do on my father that just didn't feel right to me Hmm. and had we not been there um, there probably would have been a different outcome a couple years ago he was taken to the emergency room to a different hospital in Phoenix and they wanted to do a procedure on my father's heart which I felt it would be would have been dangerous to do that even though I'm not a doctor but the way it was explained to me I just didn't feel comfortable And uh, long story short, I ended up calling another doctor, happens to be Greek, um, at Banner Health, a different hospital. I explained the procedure that this hospital wanted to to do, and he agreed with me and said, absolutely not. That should not be happening. And I said, well, help me out. And he said, let's get him transferred.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, Just imagine if you hadn't been there.
1: If I hadn't been there. and, And that's what I always think about is, You know, you think about these families, you know, let's say a poor immigrant family that doesn't even speak English. Right. You know, they they wouldn't have been in a position to take the kind of action that we did, which was pretty dramatic.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I mean, they were literally about to wheel him into surgery. And the fax machine, um, you know, the other hospital, the orders came in for the transfer. Mm -hmm. And they were about to wheel him out. And I said, no, 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 no. He's not having this procedure done. We're taking him out of here.
0: Um, And we did. We
1: had him transferred from one hospital to to Banner Health, where they did not perform that surgery. Wow. Um, And a week later, my father was was
0: discharged. Wow. Yeah. Did you have any moments recently to get some respite yourself while you were at the hospital with your dad? Um,
1: I did force my mother to go um, with me to get a pedicure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's good <laughs> um, and
1: so and that was difficult, but um she reluctantly capitulated and got in the car with me, and I said, "You know, let's just go, we'll be gone for an hour and and we did that, but no other otherwise, I was pretty much around the clock with my mom and my brother, you know in the hospital mm-hmm. and I think it's it was somewhat maybe not surprising, but I think it's not necessarily the norm. Um, for hospitals to see the family spending that much time in a hospital room um, because, you know, we were on that floor in that particular unit around the clock. We didn't sleep there, but we left, you know, around 10 o'clock at night and would come back around 7 in the morning. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we rarely saw other family members, you know, in the other rooms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, some rooms I never saw any family member at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. others
1: I would see you know, occasional family members going in and out, but I think I'm quite confident we were the only family that was literally camped out there. And, you know, that that actually helps, and even the doctors admitted that, that, you know, having your family around you, um, you know, while you're in the hospital is is important when you're a patient and you're in that condition, Mm -hmm. that type of condition. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of an ethnic thing where, you know, we have to we have to all be together and we have yeah.
2: to
1: mobilize and, you know, hang out in the hospital. I mean, one night we brought one of my father's parishioners, made us a, a dinner and brought it to the hospital. Oh, that's so sweet. So we stunk up the room with our food.
0: <laughs> Was it your Greek food? <laughs> that's so funny. Actually, it
1: wasn't Greek food. Oh, okay. Well, it was. It was Greek meatballs over spaghetti. The nurse came in, and he said, wow, this is, I could smell it down the hall. <laughs> yeah, they
0: all wanted some of it, probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, we offered, and he, he, he declined. But, you know, there we were, sitting around eating Greek meatballs and spaghetti while my dad's on a morphine drip. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Funny.
0: Well, how is your yeah. mom emotionally now?
1: Well, my mom can't sleep. Oh. Um, and so she's on Ambien. Oh. Um, She's been on Ambien for years just because my father, I mean, I only hit the tip of the iceberg with you in terms of all the procedures he's had done and all the issues he's experienced. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for the past 10, 15 years, it's been almost incessant. My mother's been the primary caregiver um, at home, and so, you know, it's 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 resulted in her having serious uh, insomnia-
2: mm-hmm.
1: very serious insomnia so she's been um you know stressed out but um but she's she's okay she's very strong and she is grateful to have my brother there and um of course grateful when i can when I can come in her sort of stress reliever is um cooking mm hmm uh, one day last week when we were in the hospital, my mom said, you know, I need to go home. I need to, I haven't gone grocery shopping. I haven't been cooking, And of mm-hmm.
2: course, and mm-hmm. you
1: know, we didn't need her to do any of that. But I knew that that would make her feel like herself again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we we took her home, and she did all her grocery runs, and she, you know, made some food and baked some bread. And I think that that really helps her feel a little bit more normal she has a, she had difficulty um camped out in that in that hospital room Mhm, definitely had a hard time with that,
0: yeah. Um, yeah,, I'll bet. Have you talked about her future living situation? Would she move in with you?
1: well um that's interesting um one would think that you know the the mom would move in with the daughter mhm. <laughs> Um, But, you know, my brother, unlike me, spent most of his life, he's going to turn 40 in about a month, he spent most of his life uh, living either with my parents or very close by. Um, He's only spent about, I don't know, maybe three years tops his entire life in another state. So he's kind of, um, they're like the three musketeers, my mom, my dad, and and my brother, and um, I think that... My mom would be, I mean, I think in her ideal world, we would be together in a house, three of us. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, On the same floor, within eyesight.
1: Right. right. I don't (laughs) think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to work for me. (laughs) But um, I think, you know, should something happen to my father sooner rather than later, I think my brother and my mom will, will stay in Phoenix a little bit longer. But ultimately, you know, Chris's objective is to get back to Los Angeles, and he's getting pretty close to achieving that. So, mm-hmm. I think if he moves here for work purposes, my mom most certainly will move here as well. And whether she ends up moving in with me or whether she ends up moving in with Chris, I I don't know. I'm just saying that I I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up, you know, with Chris. We'll see.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, because I didn't live with them, you know, as Chris has.
2: Mm-hmm. When
1: I am home, there's a there's a bond among the three of them that that I don't
0: Share, uh huh,
1: um, and I know that sounds a little bit odd.
0: No, because I, I have that bond with my mom and my sister Zoe has said the same thing. She's, okay, because yes, we lived together for three years. My mom and I, as you know, right, and we definitely have this bond that just my sisters don't have. I mean, and it's not because she loves me more. It's just I spent more time with her, and so we have this kind of weird, almost you know, Siamese twin type bond. So I completely understand what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I sometimes I feel um, not like, you know, odd man out, but just I can sense that there's something special there with my brother, which, you know, I, I understand. I mean, they, they see him as the child that stayed home and took care of them. <laughs> um, and he has. And uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm really grateful that that's how things sort of worked out and that he's He's there right now because if my brother hadn't been in, in their house last night, my dad would have collapsed on the bathroom floor, and I don't even know if he'd be with us mm-hmm. right now. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: He was that weak and has almost no energy. So Chris is a big guy and, you know, held him up and then got him in a wheelchair and wheeled him back over to the bed. So,
0: mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of turn it in a little bit of a different direction. Do you think that the losses that you've had in your life have affected your views on aging or your approach to life?
1: Wow, that's that's a pretty loaded question.
0: Okay. We don't have to go you know, down a, d- down that road.
1: It's, no, it's just it's thought provoking. Well, I'm not quite sure where to begin Um, in answering that, and are you referring to my, um, losing my husband four years ago?
0: Yes, and also your brother. But, um, again, we totally don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. Um, No,
1: it's it's okay. Um, You know, grief has a way of uh, sort of re-emerging. I mean, it's always there, Mm -hmm. um, as you probably know from having lost your father. Mm -hmm. It, It never... You know, com- disappears. It's, it's always there. Uh, the way I had described it to my therapist a few years ago was, I feel like it's the wallpaper of my life.
0: Oh, what an interesting way of putting it. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so he asked me to describe what the wallpaper looked like, and that's when it became a little challenging. But um, uh-huh. but that's how I. That's how it is to me. It's sort of the huh. wallpaper, and um, but the the colors sort of intensify and become much, much, much more vivid when you begin sort of reliving um, another death or soon-to-be death. Um, and that's what's happening with me now. In the hospital at one point, the chaplain came in last week and began talking to us about my father and his situation and death, and I just started gushing. And I, I felt, you know, really awful about it because I'm crying in my dad's room and I shouldn't have been doing that, but I explained that I was reliving, you know, my husband's passing mm-hmm. at that moment, you know, mm-hmm. for some reason. You know, so that's that's what I'm kind of experiencing
2: mm-hmm.
1: now. Is that kind of reliving that, that grief, um, from, from Aaron's passing four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um gosh. Yeah, so it's kind of a mixed bag. And, you know, as much as I want to hold on to my father as long as possible, um, and so I pray for that. I also don't want him to have zero quality of life. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't want him to be someone who is on pain medication 24-7, being wheeled to dialysis, radiation. You know, he has no Interest in eating any food right now because of the radiation is mm-hmm. withering away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what kind of life is that? And, yeah. uh, you know, so last night I—I I mean, for for a few minutes, I thought maybe it's better for my father to not be in this type of condition. And I'm trying to get my my mindset, you know, positioned so that I'm so that I'll be able to deal with his passing in a healthier way. You can never be prepared, right, Mm -hmm. for your parents' passing, but Mm -hmm. I feel as though I need from the three of us, I really need to be the strong one when it happens uh, because my brother will fall to pieces. As strong as he is and given, you know, he's the male, um, he will fall to pieces. Mm -hmm. So I just, I want to try to be prepared for that and view it as a good thing, as odd as that sounds. Not at all. Not a bad thing,
2: right? I
1: want to do it as you know, he's he's out of his misery, and he's in a better place now. You know, unfortunately, when you're in these kinds of situations, you just, you do have a tendency to think about death a lot, and that's, it's invading my thoughts, you know, even my own, and my own death. And so I don't really, I don't really like that. And I think, I mean, who would? But I, I think people who don't go through these situations, um, I think a lot of people go through life not even thinking about it at all, and that's that's wonderful because those thoughts haven't invaded their psyche but mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 difficult to i don't know i'm I'm kind of grappling with that right now, mm-hmm. not just what's happening with my father, but um you know I really think focusing on my own health um mm-hmm. right now is mm-hmm. a is a top priority mm-hmm. um watching my father. Um, you know, go through this. It's um it's always been important to me, but I think now more than ever it will be even of greater importance um taking care of my own body and making decisions um that are important to maintaining good health.
0: Mm-hmm. I I, I confronted the same thoughts about my own mortality after my father died. And it's not like I wasn't aware that I would die. It was just so much more abstract than it was after he died. And um, you really can't get your head around it in a a, a visceral way until you experience that. But, you know, you're young. (laughs) We're both relatively young and in good health. So, I mean, look, if you lived another 20 or 30 years what what would you do differently than you're doing now?
1: I think it would depend on the condition um I was in. I, I I wouldn't want to be a dialysis patient. Um but you know, we can sit here at our age, um, you know, both of us healthy and say, Oh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to stay alive if I were dealing with X, Y, or Z but it's different when you're there. Um mm-hmm. And um, I think for my father, his will to pull through this current cancer situation stems from his love for us Mm -hmm. and knowing that we will be devastated without him. And I don't think that he, you know, he doesn't want to stop fighting. Um, He could have given up. Um, Even the doctors said to me, before he was discharged last Saturday, your father proved us wrong. Huh. They thought he was going to die last week. Uh. Um, and that's why they mentioned hospice to us. And we said, hospice? What are you talking about? We're, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're fighting this. We're taking him to radiation, and he's going to get through this. And mm-hmm. I know they looked at us like we were crazy, but, you know, on the last day when they discharged him, that's precisely what they said. Your father proved us wrong. He's very, very strong-willed. I don't have children, though, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what the scenario will look like um, when my am my father's age. And that's another thing um, that can be somewhat, you know, troubling. I look at the support that my dad has from both my brother and me, and, you know, like we talked about, there have been decisions that, you know, were made that we were able to block, and we've been, you know, really instrumental in making sure he has received good care, who's going to be around to make those decisions for me, given that I don't have um, kids of my own? And so those kinds of things, you know, worry me. Um, I just hope that when I'm, you know, that age that I'm around people that love me, that I love, you know, we're we're all kind of supportive of each other, whether it's cousins or nieces or friends, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm Mm-hmm what's most important in, in life is, is being around your family and people people who love you that's it mm-hmm. um, so you know for myself that's what I try to do is spend as much time as I can with, with people that I love with people who love me um, and that's that's more important than anything else more important than your job to have good relationships and surround yourself with good people
0: mm-hmm. amen to that well is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close any takeaways that you'd like to leave with our listeners
1: no I, I think I've <laughs> I think I've pretty much said uh, enough um, and thank you for for asking the, the questions it, 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 it helps to talk about these things out loud you know it's one thing to say them in your head and um, my, my family always makes fun of me because I live alone so I talk a lot I talk to myself uh-huh. uh, so when I'm in Phoenix they hear me talking and they're always busting my chops <laughs> um, you know who are you having a conversation with in the bathroom Maria? I'm like oh you heard that sorry
0: <laughs> my little <laughs> invisible friend <laughs> <laughs>
1: It, it, it's good to articulate things, and, and uh, it, I think it helps you process better when you're when you're voicing things um, that are are so important, like this. You know, what what do we do with our lives, and how are we handling, you know, taking care of our families, and our and our parents.
0: Yeah. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Maria Anastas. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I hope that. Your dad is peaceful, and I'll be thinking about you a lot in the next few days. And thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. Thanks, bye. Maria. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about today's show. You can email me at jana at agewise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z or Z as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at agewise.com and you can subscribe to the podcast and download any episodes for free on iTunes. You can also listen to the podcast on Stitcher. I'm Jana Panaritas. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.